0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Lewis and Lucas podcast. I'm half your podcast, Lucas. With me, as always, is Lewis. How are you doing today, Lewis?
1: Doing excellent. Doing excellent. Looking forward to this, uh, this show. And it looks like we yeah. have some good stuff to talk about here. So. For sure. So how
0: are you handling the uh, the notification of, of Twitter, all that?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm seeing a therapist. I've got a therapist <laughs> involved. I I haven't deleted my account cuz I don't want to let the Nazis take over. Right, exactly. But um I am I do have a therapist and um, Oh good. Yeah, good, good. I'm I'm working through it. Yeah. It's <laughs> So h- yeah. How about yeah. I
0: you know, I I well I think I'm decent because i am you know, I run in Christian nationalist circles, so I'm sort of desensitized due to my ad- ad- adjacency to Nazi centric type ideology so you say
1: you're handling it oh, okay because you are a nazi <laughs> <laughs> basically i guess <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Got
0: it. laughs> um yeah so this you know every week we look at what's happening on twitter twitter's just it, it's so interesting how a lot of national conversations seem to get their start on twitter this week of course was no exception the first part of the week the Kanye uh, controversies continue to evolve. He had a series of interviews. Well, what was really the first one with the, that sort of like a hip hop journalist, that one, like three hour long podcasts, whatever. Well, then that, Guy got so much backlash from giving Kanye a voice, whatever, that he took the interview down. Well, then Kanye had an interview with Pierce. Mor- it's interesting how controversial voices they have to have the right handlers to right. Uh, give them a voice. Out of what did you? So, so there's the, the Pierce Morgan interview, and then the Lex Friedman was the most recent interview. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. the. Uh- the censoring of Kanye is epic. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's Nick Fuentes level uh, in terms of like, it's complete blackout of him down to getting banned from the banks and, and everything else. So, I mean, it is wild. I, I feel like um, it's not, you know, uh, his statement of like, who created cancer culture and like, then he gets canceled from absolutely everything. <laughs> you know, like, and it's wild. Like, it's a strange, uh, it's a strange deal. And um kind of is not going to help with conspiracy theories, that's for sure. So. It, well, that's, that's
0: the pro- See, I've always been aware of a fringe of Christian social media that really border, uh, the borderline between like being critical of, of like stating facts about Israel (laughs) and that, but then going straight to like anti semitism. that always seemed like a very gray line. Uh, but then I'm sure they're feeling pretty vindicated after this past week, looking at what Kanye said, which seemed pretty benign, the looking at, you know, there's a lot of really, really powerful people and they, they happen to be Jewish, Mm -hmm. uh, what what does that mean? What are there larger implications when we look at a certain people group that has a certain amount of power and prestige? I mean, critical race theory te-
1: teaches us that that is true, right? Well, that's that's exactly. Someone put a montage together of people saying they took kind of what Kanye said about Jewish people, and then they they took mainstream, completely acceptable statements from press from important people i i'll see if i can find it but basically saying the exact same words only saying white instead of jewish so yeah. like the you know kanye said well the jewish people control everything and then um the statement from the mainstream media was white people control everything and then the the statement from kanye was like jewish people's you know are, are holding the black man down or whatever and then the statement from Uh, the mainstream media was white men are holding the black men down so like it is if if the statement is we shouldn't um take a group of people and um lump them together and say that they're doing something okay and on some level i agree but like you you then can't do it to white people and that's you know that's the problem is that you know, we are a racist society. I think we're one of the most racist societies we've, we've ever been, only it's all against white people. Like <laughs> anything goes when it comes to white people. You can make fun of white people. You can insult white people. You can blame white people for everything. Nick Cannon um, literally said white people because of our lack of melanin are evil or inherently evil. I remember that. That's likely. And by the way, if you remember, he insulted both Jewish people and white people. He apologized for what he said about Jewish people. He never apologized for what he said about white people. And he was uncanceled as a result of that. So, you know, it it is, we live in a society that is openly and viciously racist against white people (laughs) and not against any other, like any, everybody else is off, off, uh, bounds, including Jewish people, um, you know, you know to, to to your point, I saw
0: somebody had taken an article about whiteness and exchanged all the whiteness words for Jewish and yeah. uh so you read it with the words jewish in place of whiteness yeah. you're like whoa like yeah it sounds ter- I, you know
1: it's like holy crap was hitler which, put this together and like yeah we do it for white people all the time
0: i'm so i'm and i'm so desensitized to the anti-whiteness stuff like it did you read that you're like oh yeah like i i don't buy into that stuff i don't think the white people are the most evil form of people whatever i'm not a self-hating white person which that seems to be like a festering strain especially with college white progressive college kid type people yeah yep. more progressive people the, the self-hating white person i don't subscribe to that but i'm so desensitized i should be um when people write stuff like that where white people you need to repent from your evil because of your whiteness and you know, all the stuff that has to do with my race nothing about my personal decisions like and I'm so desensitized to it. It doesn't even phase me. But then when I saw the article where they switched it out for Jewish and you're, and for that, we have been trained to react very vehemently, like what's happening to Kanye West. Like, well, this is, this is clearly obviously wrong, and everybody left, right. Everybody agrees that you cannot speak about the Jewish people in any, in just any old way. But, uh, white and to certain degrees black even you can talk about in
1: grandiose yeah, yeah.
0: terms or just wide brush strokes for whatever reason the Jew when you talk jewish you have to be very 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 careful the next thing that you utter
1: <laughs> yeah and it is i mean um i wrote a book on the influence of christianity on the world and like i'm a sincere believer that religion matters that what if we were a pagan society we would look a lot more like ancient rome or whatever um if we or or aztecs or or inca or whatever like there would be a a different set of morals that we would have than if we were christian um and i do think that it's it it's not racist or hateful to say, you know, is if someone of a different religion, whether it's Muslim or, or Jewish or whatever, is leading all the major institutions, is, is their religion impacting how they, um, you know, their philosophy on how that should influence America or how that should influence that institution that they're in charge of. And, um, you know, I think that's a a legitimate question and I don't, I don't think it's racist. I don't think it's hateful. Um, I I love everybody of all races and all ethnicities, but like culture matters and religion matters. It does. And like, I've, I've written about that, you know, from from day one.
0: Is You love everybody in spite of the race. That that's, that's what white nationalists say. Lewis, yeah. that's. that's... <laughs> um did you see somebody was floating around that article from the LA times back in 2008 it was written by a uh, a Jew about yes Jews absolutely do run the media and I'm tired of pretending that we don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just, man, it was... I didn't
1: see, I didn't see that article oh, so I funny. grabbed yeah. it
0: because people are like man I wonder if they're going to delete this so I, I grabbed it I'll share it later. It was it was really like, he's like, look, like, here's, uh, you know, 95 of these high level TV executives. 90 of them are Jewish. Oh, wait, wait, the wait. Was five. that
1: they, he was uh, like an atheist podcaster. Is that who you're talking about? Or did you see yeah. that atheist podcaster, the Asian guy? Um, oh, no, I'm the, not talking yeah. about the YouTuber. I'm oh, talking okay. about, so
0: this is an article that was published in the oh, LA Times. This was an actual
1: Jewish guy. Okay. Yeah, he All was right. actually oh, Jewish. Okay. And he right, was like,
0: yeah, yeah and it and the the gist of the article was, yes, Jewish people run the media and lots of other things, and I'm tired of pretending that we don't. And he interviews different, like he interviewed the president of the Anti Defamation League, mm-hmm. and the, the the president in this article was like, I mean, yeah, but we don't like say that because then people think that we are somehow colluding. What blah 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 blah. So we, I was like, okay, I understand the, you you want to avoid that implication. And I think when people insinuate that the protocols of the elders of Zion or whatever, like there's this Jewish conspiracy to control the world. Okay. Like just, just pointing to how there's a lot of powerful Jewish people doesn't make the case that that's actually happening, that they're working together to, to do this, whatever just look at Israel and how much division there is between different Jews about how, you know, there's a lot of Jews that believe they are occupying Palestine, whatever. It's hard for me to believe that all these powerful people who happen to be Jews are also working together to overtake the entire globe, whatever. But does but then to just obfuscate the fact that, yes, there's a lot of powerful institutions that happen to be run by people who happen to be Jewish. We can't say that. We can't acknowledge that fact.
1: And even like acknowledge possible implications, right. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's colluding together. um, But the, certainly if, if all our institutions were run by Muslims, like if 100% were like, if it was like, holy crap, it seems like Muslim Brotherhood has a lot of people running, you know, they're, they're running Hollywood, what they have eight, eight of the nine presidencies of, of all these different institutions. Like, that seems interesting. Like, yeah. does that, does their religious views, does that influence how they view America or does that influence how they view um their, their, the what they're looking at do they care about the best interest of their fellow countrymen if you know if it's if they're all in the muslim brotherhood right like mm-hmm. they're, they're like it would be a legitimate question with any or scientologist you know like if it was like holy crap scientologists are literally running everything like that's super weird and like that would be a strange thing to observe or i mean you name the religion like even if it was like a particular weird cult of christianity you know like if it was like uh you know this um radically pentecostal group or whatever like everyone would notice the liberals would notice everybody would say whoa what is with this cult that's like literally running everything right. Um, so like i don't think there's anything illegitimate about say noticing that a particular religion is influential in certain areas or a lot of areas, you know, like, I don't, I don't think that's a inappropriate thing to notice and ask whether it's a good thing and ask what the implications are.
0: And it it is a historical fact, like, you know, so Jews and banking, um, Thomas Sowell has actually explored that in one of his books. I'm going to, I'll grab that later, but because banking in medieval Christian Europe Christians were not supposed to be involved in banking because you weren't they, they had took certain parts of Old Testament law to mean that you could not make loans. So you couldn't have Christians engaging that type of transactions. So but they but they allowed Jews to act to be moneylenders to fulfill this part of the economy. Um, So, yeah, there is, it's a historical fact that Jews historically have been associated with the banking industry, but that's because the Christian powers at that time uh, allowed that to happen. And Thomas Sowell actually explores that and looks at, there's some Asian cultures where certain people groups have gotten involved with things like banking, whatever, and then certain periods of time during like economic hardships, because they're involved in banking, they're the ones who are blamed for when the economy crashes and they're used as scapegoats by people that are in power. So then that those people groups who are not Jewish, they're just different people groups in Asia, are then assaulted and, and persecuted because people yeah, bankers. Them,
1: he calls them like um, minority middlemen or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a, I can't, can't remember the exact term he uses, but yeah. So, so um, you
0: you know what I'm talking about? Thomas Soul yeah, exploring that yeah, idea, yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah. He's uh, got a lot of interesting thoughts, but anyway, yeah. I mean, we're definitely gonna get this video canceled, probably.
0: <laughs> I like, feel like we're taking a very charitable look at this.
1: <laughs> I feel like we are too, but I think just the words. It's kind of like uh, at the end of um, Meet the Parents, where Ben Stiller says bomb on a plane, and he's like. I'm It's not like I'm saying I'm going to blow this plane up with a bomb. And the the uh the airline uh, stewardess is like, well, you can't say bomb on a plane. He's like, I said, I'm not going to blow it up with a bomb. And he ends up getting removed from the plane <laughs> because he says not like, you know, I feel yeah. like we're touching on a subject that even though I think we're being well, reasonable, I don't, I, I think. Well, we here's might, so, yeah, but.
0: so the, um some parts of the conversation that i think yeah should like but because we can't talk about it we can't expose like these ideas are as bad so yeah maybe
1: a, maybe we should like have a separate uh gab discussion this, <laughs> so right some, you know we could well, do so, like like a uh uncensored gab discussion you know put put this up on some uh complete free speech network. so have,
0: have you seen the uh like the southern the confederate apologists on twitter is like that's a that's a real thing okay. that, uh yeah. which as somebody who's you know my dad's side of the family is from tennessee and alabama yeah. i'm very aware of the arguments that people have made that abraham lincoln was a tyrant and the south was just trying to Maintain their sovereignty in terms of taxes and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you can't ignore the fact that slavery was institutionalized in the, the confederations constitution. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was a big part of the, that's, that's the biggest reason why the civil war happened was over the institution of slavery to pretend that it's all these other things, the it's yeah, just but yeah, and maybe you're right. Maybe having this conversation over like, because and, and Gab, we've talked a little bit about Gab before. If you guys aren't familiar with Gab, it is a different social media platform, ran by Andrew Torba, a who happens to be a Christian nationalist. He was he wrote one of those books that we talked about last week about Christian nationalism, but he's big free speech advocate, and you go on Gab, there is. Uh, there's a lot of free speech happening and it's a lot of anti-Semitism that I was, I was pretty shocked at like, I always, I had always heard that there was fringe of Christians who were anti-Semitic, but never, never really saw it up close uh, until I started following different people on Gab, like, oh, they said something interesting, whatever, and then a couple of Gabs later, you're just like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> there's the the Jewish cobble, blah 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 blah.
1: You're like wow. Like, yeah. And I feel like um there's um if you if you want to make that if if you what they're doing to Kanye West is not helping that, I will say. Like I I feel like if 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 someone says Lucas is an intolerant guy who's very controlling. And you say, well, you are never going to talk again. <laughs> like, right. I mean, like it doesn't, it doesn't exactly make the case for well, you. So there like was I, that,
0: did you see, there was this Jewish comedian. He does a lot of skits with Ryan Lawn, who we've talked about before. yeah. Yep, he's yep. Jewish. And he was like, talk about, I was like, so, you know, Kanye West said all these crazy things about Jews control the media, whatever. And then he's, and then he's getting canceled. And, all oh, yeah, by yeah, kids. Yeah. and I'm like, I'm over here like hey guys uh can can you please stop you're uh, you're, uh, you're not helping <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's I did I saw that exact clip it was pretty funny <laughs>
0: yeah but, it's uh, it's not helping at all and look to everybody else on the sidelines you're like wow like
1: yeah that, that was swift
0: and uh, brutal
1: yeah it's interesting um like uh Taleb talks about having f you money and it's interesting County West at least on paper had 2 billion dollars Right, which you would think would be FU money. Um, he said FU in a way that people don't like, and he has lost two billion dollars. I think he's still worth four hundred million or something. So we don't yeah, need he's to, he's doing all right. need to cry for he's him, still eating. Like lost two billion dollars and has been deleted from everything and has had his reputation destroyed and his you know, like it's it is a wild thing to watch that's it for is
0: sure. it is You know. but i've heard him talk before about like investing in in land and like he's he's a really smart guy like i i'm sure he's made good investments i'm sure he's doing fine um but given that he is a fashion designer and a musical artist those two main revenue streams seem to rely heavily on having access to Different outlets, whatever. So I, I don't know how he's going to keep making money, whatever. I'm sure he's doing. You know, he's went from two billion to four hundred million. That's still quite a lot of coin. But it'll be interesting to see how he what's what's his next maneuver. What's the next thing he's going to try and do now?
1: Yeah, yeah. It uh, it's going to be interesting. I I just um, I don't know why we can't just let people talk. You know, and it's like reasonable people, like if normal people at a bar, let's, you know, let's say you were like heavily racist or heavily anti-Semitic or whatever. And at a bar, you know, I shouldn't say you personally, let's say there was a third person among us that is at a bar says something terribly hateful or whatever. It's like, you know, these people are born bad or whatever, something truly hateful. Um, our reaction, at least my reaction wouldn't be like, you should never talk again. Let's silence. Let's delete your bank account. Let's destroy your life. Let's get fire you from every job you've ever had. Like that wouldn't be a normal response. I might be like, what dude, you know, like an argue with him or like right. whatever. I'd be like, Hey, I think that's pretty unreasonable or ah, you're silly goof. You're like, dude, you're crazy or whatever. Like a normal person, the reaction to, to when you hear something, even if it's very hateful is not to like, never talk to that person again and try and destroy their life or, or right. and like try and prevent them from talking, you know, like having a reasonable reaction is just like what normal people do, but we don't live in a normal <clears throat> world. It's just like you say something that sounds a little bit out of step with what culture is and you're gone.
0: You yeah. Know? We, we still have blasphemy laws today. There's, it's not codified, Yeah, maybe the same way as ancient cultures, but we do have blasphemy laws, we do have certain things that you can't say the can't say trans women are actually men you can't say the the, things about gender things about race like there's many, many, many things that you cannot say that are considered blasphemy it makes you like. Free speech, I think what you're talking about is so in that situation, being able to flesh out these ideas like, dude, like, okay, go ahead, go ahead, make your best case for why you have this terrible idea, go ahead. And then they, f- they flesh it out that you could look at the foundation they've built for the idea, poke some holes here, whatever, to see if they stand up to scrutiny. And then that person can maybe be freed from these terrible ideas because they've been exposed to the light of reason.
1: Yeah, I will, like, that that happens, too, is, like, when you, like, just refuse to engage a group, they do go crazy, right? Like, this happens with flat earth, right? Like, with, and I have stopped engaging all these flat earth people, but, like, I did for a long time, um, is, like, they will, they'll come up with ideas that are clearly fake, just, like, completely fake, things like, oh, you can't visit antarctica right like um things like um you know uh if you know having to do with the horizon things like the maps uh, just assuming that they have flat earth maps that were whatever like crazy stuff that they come up with and like they go to oh the other big thing they come up with is like the idea that um nasa invented the idea of the globe right they legit believe that nasa invented i'm like no this is like a uh, 2000 year old idea and it's right. something that's been widely accepted for uh, pretty much 2000 years um, but they come up with these ideas and because no one engages them is they live in these like weird bubbles where it's like they they all and they're you don't need to be an idiot if you never hear something else right you can you know like if your whole bubble is just like people reaffirming your ideas and you assume certain things. Um, you you don't even need to necessarily be stupid if you never hear the alternative views. And so like what I had done was kind of gone in and be like, guys, you know here's here's some obvious debunking of of the flat earth. Um, yeah. and and I think in the same way for all ideas, right? like if you think something is clearly false, clearly wrong, the idea of just censoring it is not the best way to get rid of it. Um, it may prevent it from going mainstream, but it's not going to go mainstream unless there's some legitimacy to it. Right. So, right. Like, you, you know, I, as long as you're sure it's a stupid, weird, easily debunkable idea, let people say it and let people argue about it and it, it won't go anywhere. Right. Yeah. Like it's just, um, and I, I think, one of the things that whole cancel culture has done is protected bad ideas. I mean, like you see um, on the trend stuff, you see things that, like, if we could have an open debate on that, if we could have, like, if, if you know, in front of our community, let's say, you know, your local town square, you bring in, you fill up the local high school stadium and you, you bring everybody in. And you just have a discussion on it, I guarantee that the right wing view would overwhelmingly win that discussion. Right. Like, it's not like having an open discussion on that conversation would be, you know, where you're bringing in facts, you're bringing in like basic logic, you're bringing in basic biology. Like, it wouldn't even be a close discussion. Um, and so, like, that ability to, to censor, um, both censors ideas that need to be countered, you know, flat earth or whatever, and then doesn't censor or does censor the counter to bad ideas in the case of, you know, some of this LGBT stuff. So, you know, it's, it's a, it would be a lot healthier if everybody could just talk about things.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The flat earth is interesting. I know I've like, I remember when that was becoming a trend and, flat earthers would like take pictures of the horizon on the ocean see, like, see, it's a flat line. And you look at it's. there's clearly, there's clearly a bow there. Yeah, and you're exactly. like, how, like, how are you so willfully ignoring that? So stuff like that. And then the transgender stuff, I think you're absolutely right that as that's allowed to come to light more and more people that we're seeing a lot of progress being made already. Like that Walsh over at the daily wire just had the end to the rally to end child mutilation in Nashville, that had a really big turnout. Of course, there were counter protesters, but they were mostly um, drowned out by the support that people showed for this rally. And then the the detransitioners just had a big get together in Florida, talking to the government there. And it looks like Florida's moving to ban gender of affir- gender affirming surgery care for minors which I just I, it's it's shocking that we have we have to like hey you know maybe we shouldn't be giving kids you know per-
1: permanent surgeries it's
0: uh but yeah it's
1: terrible yeah for sure I mean and um it will be looked back on with horror at some point in time I mean um all these crazes eventually people wake up from, and this is a craze right now. And it's, it's gonna, there's gonna be a giant waking up and a giant o- awareness at some point in time of how insane this whole thing was.
0: And then, and then they'll pretend that. You know the progressives wanted to not give gender affirming care the entire time, but it was those crazy Christian conservatives that were like, "Yeah, oh.
1: that's what I always point out <laughs> on slavery. Like the the anti slavery movement was overwhelmingly Christian. I mean, to the point where um, there's quotes of of British politicians saying." you know to the abolitionists you guys need to keep your religion out of politics right like the, you know to the that like that that's how overwhelmingly christian it was it was viewed as like christians inserting themselves in politics um and you know led by evangelicals led by christians led by you know like there's there's no doubt it, it definitely was and yet atheists today you would think it was the exact opposite like you oh, would for think, sure. you would think oh crazy christians invented slavery and then use the bible to keep it in place right like you would think it was the exact opposite of what it actually was and um i'm sure that if abortion ever gets viewed as the horror that it deserves to be viewed which i think it will eventually i am sure atheists in 2050 or whatever will point to liberal Presbyterian churches, yep. liberal Methodist churches. and say, the 1970s see, Southern Baptist Convention. See, they were, they were pro-abortion. And then they'll find a handful of atheists there like, see, the atheists were fighting against it this whole time. And, <laughs> you know, so it's, it, I guarantee that happens. Like, I guarantee that in the future, there will be a claim that Christians were pro-abortion and that atheists were pro-life like if like and this gender affirming stuff like i guarantee that happens with that as well because there's idiot the same idiot liberal churches are out there and it will be easy story to flip if you want you know yeah
0: yeah which if you want to see liberal progressive churches talking about this kind of craziness highly recommend woke preacher clips a twitter account that posts I just saw one where they had a choir, the the All People's Choir. So I can't remember what the church they're associated with is, but singing this song about having their their rights depending on which state they live in and yada yada. Like it's a lot a lot of nonsense in Christian spheres. But to kind of put a bow on the Kanye conversation, I'm very interested to see what he's going to do next week and, and who knows, maybe, you know, cause he had his Twitter account, everything canceled. Now that Twitter has officially changed hands, you know, maybe he'll be back on Twitter next week or something. I, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, did you see uh, Elon Musk tweeted, I think yesterday or today, he said Kanye West is not banned from Twitter, but it has nothing to do with me. He clarified. It had nothing to do with him. He said, this decision was made prior to me getting control and without informing me or something. So Kanye West is not banned on Twitter anymore. So oh. al- already. Yeah. So um, nice. But Elon Musk wanted to clarify that it wasn't like he immediately freed Kanye. Um, so, oh, so they had
0: unbanned him prior to Elon. Taking- That's what
1: he said. Yeah. Okay. So he, he included like a clip from Twitter's content board basically saying that um, Kanye West was not banned, that they had deleted that that tweet where he said DEFCON, whatever, and they had um, suspended him or restricted his account. Um, but I guess that's all over, and I guess he's free now. So we'll see if he starts posting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he starts posting. it would be interesting to see if they unlock Trump's account. Do
1: you think that's going to happen? Um, I think it definitely will happen. Like, oh, I, wow. I I have no doubt that that's going to happen. The question is, will Trump come? Because I mean, Trump has built up Truth Social, and it's a, it's a pretty. I mean, it's it's the most effective alt social network that there's been, right? Like, I think it has way more active users than Parler, way more active users than Gab, um, and I. So I, I think he's built that up a lot of his allies have helped him build that up. There's a lot of money invested in it. Whether he, if Trump leaves truth social for Twitter, that just all dies. So he, whether he's willing to like just pack up shop on something they they've invested all this time in, you know, maybe that's,
0: that's my thought too. I'm like, you know, as a, as a business person, the he, there's no reason for him to do it because as you said, he's invested so much time and money in, in truth social, his, social media app
1: yeah the only thing that like it there may be like a an agreement that could come to with twitter because like i mean elon musk is a businessman right and getting trump back would certainly be good for the app right trump was probably their biggest content content provider um and really in many ways kept twitter alive you know, in the period where like, there was a lot of social media that was kind of dying off. I think Twitter was struggling and having Trump run and be funny and get, you know, bring conservatives in and that kind of stuff. Like it was a big, it was a big boom for Twitter. Um, and I mean, it goes to show like how strong the left is that they were able to get Twitter to ban their number one content provider. Right. <laughs> like it's, right. it's pretty, pretty wild. Um, but so there may be, I mean, how much is that worth to have Trump on Twitter? Like maybe Twitter can work out some kind of deal where they, you know, help offset the losses to Truth Social or something. I, uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, there was an article to this morning that there's a bunch of advertisers who said they'll pull their ads if Trump's account is unlocked. Uh, I call BS, but...
1: Yeah, um, there's a funny uh, we you mentioned Ryan Long earlier. There's a funny clip of him where he does like little skits, and one skit he has is conservative podcasters advertising versus liberal podcasters advertising. The liberal podcasters like, here's an ad for the new iPhone, and like talking, and then they'll be like, here's an ad for uh Coca Cola, and then it's uh, the conservative podcaster is like, here's an ad for joe's rock query (laughs) (laughs) and and then he's like here's an ad for freedom dirt yeah yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. which like if you go to gab that's exactly what it's like here's the the patriot packs like you know dehydrated food and things like that that's that's the type people advertise but you know yeah yeah
1: Yeah. so like there and that gets back to our anti-corporation stuff we've talked about is like in reality, like these corporations will, I mean, they they'll make statements that will alienate all conservatives. You know, they, they don't care. You know, they're, they're just these wild, um, you know, wild woke bending organizations that will bend the knee to the left every single time. Um, it seems like the only guy that can keep them from doing that is DeSantis where like he'll he punishes them for doing that you know like if, if this was like a florida thing um and let's say um desantis had been banned from twitter and he was coming back and let's say general motors was like hey i'm not uh i'm not gonna advertise if desantis is let back on desantis would be like well you know what we are going to remove all benefits that the government provides all to general tax partners, breaks. right yeah all yeah. the tax breaks all this stuff and we're going to like ne- gm now has to play by a level playing field right and gm will be like whoa whoa, whoa whoa, wait, yeah like yeah yeah like so that's what you need and that's what desantis is brilliant at is like the ability to like um not allow these corporations to get away with their crap but it seems like nobody that else was, has those kind of guts you know
0: that was when desantis did that so did that with disney was yeah. like okay if you guys are going to be doing all this stuff, then we'll take away your tax breaks, whatever. And seeing all the people, all these progressive lefties coming out defending Disney, I'm just like, it's, it's yeah. what's the last couple of years have been really stunning. I, can, I if I could go back in a time machine to like 2015 and I was able to tell people like, hey, in a couple of years you're going to be rooting for giant big corporations pharma. <laughs> big pharma big government more censorship these are going to be big progressive ideas that you that you're going to adhere to nobody would believe me nobody yeah. would believe me but here yeah. we are yeah. um but yeah Twitter is going to be interesting now I've seen a lot of people get their accounts mm-hmm. unlocked um I know There's still a lot of people that haven't been unlocked yet.
1: Um, Well, Elon Musk, like he tweeted, he's like, we have not updated our content moderation policies. Like, I think he was kind of warning people because there was a lot of people that were like intentionally testing the algorithm on um, election security, on uh, groomer stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, And I think that you know, I must was like giving people a heads up, like, Hey, you still could get banned for this. Cause we have not updated anything yet. So yeah. like, um, he actually tweeted that twice. He like said that once. And then he said his follow up was to be super clear. We have not met to update the content policies and they have not changed yet. So, you know, like um, don't, now, don't
0: ban yourself. <laughs> yeah. Now I bet
1: if I'm a Twitter employee and I want to keep my job, I bet I'm a little less arbitrary right now because <laughs> I know they're changing, right? Like I think, you know, two months ago or six months ago before all this started, I think they would just be like banning whoever they felt like banning. And I think now they're probably being a little bit more careful. Um yeah. but with that being said, I mean, yeah, you gotta wait till the new moderation policies come out because it could be uh um yeah, it could be could be a A mess but um yeah one of the things he was he was talking about was um somebody tweeted an idea for twitter and one was like a verified twitter where like you have to be a you know like you have to kind of like facebook use your real name or whatever and then the other could be um a non-twitter that has almost no moderation and then the final could be like um you know, a battle Twitter where there's limited moderation, blah, blah, blah. So like different versions of Twitter. And then Elon Musk responded to that of like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea or something like that. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with it um, in terms of, um, yeah, I mean, my, my personal thought is like it, it would be good to have user experiences where you're allowed to do what you want to do, right? Like if you just want to have open conversations, have open conversations. If you never want to see someone that disagrees with you, okay. Like it seems like there could be a way to say, hey, you know, never include somebody, you know, but, but that but has isn't a different that, political view. Isn't that like blocking and muting? Like is don't yeah, we already yeah, have that? Uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like if you um you know maybe there could be a a better way of doing that so that we're not like doing all this shadow banning or whatever, but I mean, ultimately, you know, people are free to surround themselves with whoever they want. And, you know, I think it's a bad idea for you to do that. Like, I think most conservatives are more than happy to hear leftist people and argue with them and debate with them. I think the people that will turn off the other side will be the leftists. Yeah. yeah. Well.
0: Yep. It'll be interesting to see how Twitter, what Twitter looks like next week. Um, But yeah, the hope is like we'll actually be able to have conversations that aren't controlled by the progressive left where we can talk about how these drag queen shows for kids and the public educations, sexual education updates are all grooming children to be more accepting it open to people of different sexual deviances because right if you like you said if you say the word groomer on twitter right now there's you're supposed to get banned because that's that's a pejorative now it's it's
1: part of the blasphemy laws at at twitter what will be interesting and I don't know the YouTube algorithm very well, but will be interesting is this transcript, I mean, YouTube creates a transcript of everything that goes on oh, YouTube. Oh, yeah. Will be interesting. We've got a lot of keywords here that may <laughs> either get this uh, this thing banned or at least suppressed heavily. So, you know, if, if we had if we had
0: said Hebrew at the onset, maybe we wouldn't have triggered the algorithm, but maybe here we yeah. are. Here we are. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Anything, any other thoughts about Elon taking Twitter private?
1: Not really. I mean, like, I think the other thing that is, you know, we should celebrate victories and, um, you know, it's uh, the mindless censorship on social media has been horrible for this country, horrible for the conservative cause, horrible for Christianity um, and a form, true form of oppression and i think this is you know elon musk is not a perfect guy i don't agree with him on everything but like this is clearly a victory for the good side um and uh, so i think we should celebrate that and give thanks for that like it's a it's a good good thing um yeah you know we'll, we'll see what happens with it but I, I think it's it's worth celebrating for sure so.
0: and will be in, interesting to see how how journalists continue to report on this. I know I saw there was a journal, there was a couple guys that looked like they were pretending to be ex Twitter employees. They were outside Twitter headquarters with boxes full of their stuff, whatever. And they're like, yeah, we just got fired. I'm data engineer, whatever. And they just yeah. the blue check journalists just tweeted it like, Oh, it's already starting. Here's the layoffs. Yeah. And then she retweeted it a little bit later was like, you know, as to the, whether or not these are true Twitter employees, we're still trying to verify that like,
1: Oh, Oh my yeah, gosh. That, yeah. Like, <laughs> did you see the actual interview with those guys? Uh-uh. It's it's hilarious. The fact that people didn't pick up on them being fake is <laughs> like, so the one guy, I, I only saw the one interview with the, uh the Johnson guy, but he, he is like, yeah, if you think like, people being able to say things about trans is okay, whatever, but like, it's not freedom. And then uh, he was like, excuse me, I got to leave and go. uh, I got something to do with my wife and my husband.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. That's right. I saw that clip. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And see, I've, I've heard people make arguments that trolls are actually a good thing because it causes you to be, to have a healthy sense of skepticism. Yeah. If you have trolls who are constantly pushing different narratives any which way, whatever, and and you're less liable to, so, so when the big corporation makes the big lie, you're already prepared, you've already been enduring the onslaught of trolls that your skepticism is already up and you're able to navigate through when the actual liars, are
1: making lies. I'll tell you what I appreciate is like, I was, I said this to my wife uh, and like the, all my life, all uh, growing up. And even back before I was around just watching old comedians from, you know, the seventies or whatever, um, all my life, the cool side was the left. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, You might wish that they were conservative. You might wish conservatives had more cool people, but it was clear like the cool people were on the left, you know, Saturday night live back in the 1970s or whatever you see, Jim Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and um, you know, Bill Murray and all those guys. And they're so cool. Like everybody's cool and funny and they're all like hardcore leftists, right? Like all of them. And that was just the way it was. Like the cool people were always on the left. I feel like that in 2020 or 2022 Mm -hmm. is absolutely reversed. Like it is great that the, all the funny people are on the right, like humor Babylon B Ryan long, Dave Chappelle, you know, like you go through bill Burr, all those guys, like they are all funny because they're criticizing the left. And because, you know, like, it's it's nice to be on the cool side finally. Like it's, it's like just like our whole life, we've been on the non cool side, and like now it's the the cool side is the is the right, and it's it's a glorious thing to see. And uh, it's I, I don't know how that happened, but like it's I can't imagine how cringy it must be to be on the left these days. They're just like terribly <laughs> unfunny and like terribly offended by everything it's or, like, or when they try yeah. to
0: be funny they have to apologize because they ended up insulting a yeah protected yeah. person whatever yeah 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 and
1: it's it's probably there's always something funny about um shocking the puritan right like the when you're like a little kid and you like you know make a fart noise in the teacher's classroom and she gets all offended by it or whatever there's something funny about like the person that's in charge of moderating the conversation just like jumping in with a fart noise or whatever like there's something (laughs) great about that and i feel like you know the cultural controls back in the 60s and 70s or whatever were more conservative you know in terms of their um format so it probably was funny to be on the left and just be like rattling cages or whatever that has flipped 180 degrees now and look all the cultural controls are this liberal woke corporation establishment and to be making making the fart noises in their direction is hilarious like it's just a funny thing to do and as a result uh um that's where all the cool people are and yeah um
0: yeah and and i see lefties trying to use like we're part of the resistance the resistance hashtag the resistance whatever like you really like you just happen to be on the same side as all the big corporations and the
1: government and
0: you're part of the resistance.
1: Yeah. The intelligence community, the government, yeah. the, you know, the, the Senate Liz Cheney, you know, like you're, you're on there. side, so Coca-Cola agrees with you, you know, like all the advertisements are in agreement with you and you're resisting something. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. That's, that's very good resistance. You're doing there.
0: Yeah. Yep. So yeah, we'll continue watching to see how Twitter evolves and all that. Yeah, so then the Paul Pelosi, that was another really, really... I still am not quite sure what happened. From what I understand, the facts are that the police were called for a wellness check to the Pelosi home, where Paul Pelosi was had been assaulted with a hammer by some person who was in his underwear and the glass from the window was broken in such a way where the, the shards were on the outs. Cause originally they said this guy broke in, yeah. but, I, but does it doesn't appear that there's evidence that he, broke he in? not
1: only said he broke in, but they said he was a MAGA bro. Like yeah. he was like this MAGA guy attacked. Oh, it's January 6th all over again. And that, cl- that clearly is turning out to be 100% false, right? Like the, mm-hmm. it's just absolutely a lie. So, um, and I, I, wasn't Paul Pelosi also in his underwear? Like, wasn't that the. Um, sure. Yeah, I, I'm not I, sure. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, the story is so weird. I mean, the thing that everybody's pointing out is like, this is a multi million dollar family, right? Like, very rich people in a gated community. They almost certainly have all kinds of security. They probably have security guards. They certainly have um, video cameras. video cameras all over the place. Like this is if if this was, um, you know, your local electrician. That's a MAGA bro. That's like, that's it. I can't take any more of these Pelosi. <laughs> I'm taking, like, I'm taking right. a hammer to yeah.
0: Paul Pelosi. Right. <laughs> there would
1: be video of him. There would be a full biography of who he was. There would be like, everyone would know exactly what happened and the press would be publicizing it. Um, And instead there's like strange silence on this whole thing. And like this idea that, yeah, like you said, the glass on the outside, blah, blah, blah. You know, so like my initial reaction was like, obviously there's something else going on here you know i initially i'm like hey maybe it's you know maybe this is some kind of deep state thing like maybe you know so, whatever but now the more information that comes out it looks like it's probably just like a intimate situation gone wrong if you right. know what i mean like in a, a, like, I, I a strange lover yeah, yeah that's uh, which is super weird you know like um But that's that's the way I'm leaning at this point in time. So
0: that was my conclusion, too, as more information comes out, because like this doesn't seem to be like a stranger, the if he's able to get into the house with all the security measures that are in place, this was somebody who was known to the Pelosi's. And yeah, he's in there in his underwear with supposedly Paul Pelosi and his underwear and yeah. Um yeah, I think I I don't think but how quickly did they turn this into like look, look the and Defiant L is another interesting Twitter account that posts hypocritical lefties who when Rand Paul remember when Rand Paul was attacked by his neighbor and and lefties were cheering that on, like, this is what we need to do to Nazis. We need to when the initial spin on this Paul Pelosi story was that he was brutally attacked by a mega bro. They're like, ah, we need to condemn this in the highest. This is what happens when we allow this anti left rhetoric to become so pervasive in our national conversation. Conservatives need to apologize for this yada yada like that. Certainly seen a different tune when somebody attacks Rand Paul or when a Bernie Sanders supporter comes and shoots up a Republican baseball game.
1: It's yeah. a very
0: different conversation that happens depending on who, what the political affiliation is.
1: Yep. No, it's uh, their, their willingness to be hypocritical is uh, pretty epic and that's no, uh, no question.
0: And, and it certainly was, was no exception. Yeah. Um, you know, what, whatever Paul Pelosi does on his personal time it's between him and and his wife nancy whatever but the way they spun this into a anti-mega thing and yeah the but you know with social media we're able to put our super sleuth hats on and dig through the facts and come to yeah i mean this was stomped out that was that theory was stomped out pretty quickly
1: yeah that's the interesting thing like um as bad as social media is as bad as the censorship is as bad as all these things one thing that i think about all the time is that if you rewind to like pre-internet days um say 1992 or whatever um the the lack of accountability for the mainstream narrative back then must have been crazy right like to to you know if if you think about this story, it immediately got debunked by just people talking on social media. Um, If they had published the story in 92, would there have been any pushback, right? Like, w- would it just be like, oh, remember when the MAGA guy destroyed? Yeah, that, know, that, so that just would be a, a fact. Hammer? Yeah, so yeah, it, it like would be a fact of history. So it must be frustrating if you're trying to run the mainstream narrative to like have all these people making comments in the comment section or tweeting about it and that kind of stuff you know to, of like actually that is is obviously wrong <laughs> right know, like,
0: right you know if i was if i was a were if leading the fbi one thing that i would be investing in is you know we have artificial intelligence that can create different pieces of fiction uh including psychopath manifestos right just go ahead and start generating a couple of manifestos you could have on hand. So when something like this happens, you can quick, here's the, here's the crazy mega manifesto that they wrote. And everybody's like, Oh my God, see, look, look, he, yeah. this was premeditated. Yeah. Like all the, like, you, you don't even need to hire screenwriters to do that for you. Just have AI generate those things. So you have them on hand and can have re- readily accessible.
1: Yeah. Don't give them ideas. <laughs>
0: All right uh, that that's about what the the time that we have we'll, we'll quick hit on this story. Did you I've never heard about this the the rabbi who found Jesus. have Have you heard of this story?
1: I had not. No yes I'm uh...
0: so this he was a, a highly respected rabbi in Israel towards the end of his life. He revealed to his following that God had revealed to him who Messiah was or is or who who Messiah will be whatever and he wrote it down and said, "Hey, after I die, you guys could look at this and who I, who God revealed to me to be the messiah they so he passes away they pull out the note where. Says Yeshua Jesus is what a lot of people have taken that to mean, and I want to explore this more. But I, I had never heard of this story before. It's it's really really interesting. I've heard of people who are Jewish who have come to find Jesus to be the Jewish Messiah, the and Messiah for the world. But it's uh, there's obviously to stay Jewish. You they don't believe that there's it's it's weird like the the modern jewish religion orthodox conservative whatever you know they'll tell you it's they had to, the their religious practice had to evolve because the temple was destroyed by rome in 70 ad so that whole part of their religion of sacrifices animal sacrifices everything else had to go away but it's the conversation about the hebrew religion and it's modern iterations of christianity islam whatever uh, this is an interesting wrinkle in that big big story
1: yeah um i it's one of the things i point out online is that um modern judaism is a newer religion than christianity um christianity you know a lot of people think you know there was jews and then some jews um, converted to Christianity. And then there was a new religion that was Christianity and Judaism is this old religion that goes back prior to Christ. Um, the truth is, is that that's not the case at all. Um, so prior to Christ, there was a, a, a temple based Judaism, um, that followed the old Testament, followed the texts, um, that we now know of from Christianity, um, as the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible or whatever, um, and followed practices around the temple. So all the rules you see in the Bible about how to go into the temple, what the requirements were for cleanliness, etc. those were all the Old Testament. Um, Christianity came out of that while the temple was still in operation and Jesus was a Jewish person and his followers were all Jewish and all the books of the Bible, all the books of the Christian New Testament were written by Jewish people in the first century while the temple was still in operation. Maybe a couple of them were written after the temple had been destroyed, but most of them were written while the temple was still in operation. So very, um, very much in line with that old Judaism surrounding the temple. Mm-hmm. The, the modern Jews um, follow the central text they follow for their day-to-day life, to, to teach them the law, to teach them what to do, is called the Talmud. And the Talmud was written over a period of time, but was not complete until f- roughly 500 AD. Um, so their central text, their central text is 400 years older than the Christian text or-, or um, Right, the New you know, Testament know, like, Bible. Yeah, yeah. so, so um, a much newer religion. Yeah, and it is radically different than the religion of that first century. It it is not built around the temple. There is no temple, right? So it is not built around um, the laws about um, how to sacrifice and you know th- those kind of things. Like it just it simply is not. And so Can
0: they, are they? Are they even able to trace? Because so for the priesthood in. Ju- judaism from back then the priesthood the the only people from the tribe of levi could become actual priests do we even have enough information today to trace to see who is can it, are, is anybody capable of tracing their lineage to the tribe of levi
1: that's a good question i don't know um a, an interesting thing of why we call jewish people jewish is um by the time of the New Testament. So when the New Testament says the Jews did this or the Jews did that, the Jews is just a short term from people of the tribe of Judea. Um, so um, there was 12 tribes in the Old Testament. Um, Levi was one of them. Um, Judea was another one. Benjamin was another one, et cetera. Um, most of it, you know, it, a little Bible history here, um, at the time of Solomon, um, they were all united in one nation. His son, Rehoboam, um, was not a very good politician and there was a giant civil war and 10 of the 12 tribes broke off and formed a separate country that was called Israel. And then two tribes, Benjamin and Judea, um, or Judah, um, formed, um, the, the country surrounding Israel that Rehoboam ran, um, by the time of the New Testament, really the only substantial country anymore, you know, in terms of like where the Jews were, were that was that southern kingdom of Judea. Yeah. Um, and so the northern tribes probably intermixed with um, the people of their land, right? So when we, because we talk we know- about the Samaritans, for example, Samaritans yeah. were thought to be a blend of Jewish and canaanites and whoever else was in that area at the time so and that's one of the reasons there was so much hatred was that they had intermarried and kind of broken the bloodline um from from the the historic faith and so um yeah because we know
0: that the like the northern kingdom like that they were taken away by assyria like between 500 and 600 a.d and then the babylonian empire took the kingdom of judah after that uh there was that diaspora whatever so they were they were separated from each other during those times and it looks like the the jewish diaspora from that were taken to babylon were the ones that were able to get back and and rebuild the temple and and all those things but yeah at a, as turn as far as having actual because that's that was the requirement you read the bible the the requirement was you had to be uh from Aaron, brother of Moses, you had to be able to trace your lineage to, through Levi that tribe in order to be eligible to serve in the priesthood. So even if yeah. they were able to build the temple, and I don't know what what the efforts are to try and rebuild the temple, if I'm not mistaken where they think the temple should be, the Muslim community also the the Dome of the Rock, like there's there's several claims of ownership on the, where they think the temple should be, and that's what stalled efforts to try and rebuild the temple things like that
1: yeah yep and there's debate whether they should or not um and um it's it is weird stuff and like their ability whether they could read like you said with the tribes being lost and that kind of thing whether they could actually rebuild um those uh that the old religion they couldn't you know it's like impossible to get back
0: which is, which is how you get th- movements like the Black Hebrew movement.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, it's very, actually, very, um, there's several kind of, like, institutionally racist religions out there that claim to be those lost tribes. So um, the Black Hebrews are one of them. Um, I've heard, like, um, groups that claim that the English, like, Anglos were, are the lost tribes. Um, yep and so there there's institutionally groups that make that claim that they're the lost tribes um I think probably the most realistic thing is they actually just intermarried and became the right. became the Samaritans and and you know they so don't whatever exist anymore, so.
0: yeah whatever legitimate physical claims you have to that lineage was would be so watered down from the intermingling with all the other people groups that they migrated to yeah you know, maybe there's like one or 2% in there. I don't know, whatever your 23 and me says, I guess, <laughs> but this yeah. story, I, I want to explore this more. I'm going to get the book. A guy wrote a book about the the story of Yitzhak Kaduri, the rabbi who found Jesus. Um, it passed away in 2006. So that was when this became a story. And I want to give uh, credit to the detractors of this story. For instance, rabbi Toviah singer which if you're not familiar with rabbi Toviah, he's a big uh, jewish apologist and his mission his ministry is to bring jews back to the jewish religion and specifically from christianity
1: i'm sure he works yeah with- he is an anti-christian hardcore and yeah. i've like tried to interact with that guy because his arguments are garbage <laughs> like I like really like true garbage, fake arguments. And like I would love to debate that guy because like his I've gone through his stuff and it's oh okay. Oh, yeah, so you're familiar with Rabbi yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. So he's he's looked at this note that Rabbi Yitzhak left and said, No, this isn't this word doesn't mean Jesus. It's or whatever. But but the the bigger bigger reason why I wanted to bring this up. Because obviously I'm, I don't have enough information about it to explore or whatever, but just all the cool things that you find on Twitter. I never would have stumbled across this book, this story, had I not happened across a particular Twitter thread that was talking about this. You know, a Jewish yeah. rabbi who very, very highly respected, highly thought of, really yeah. exploring the scriptures and you know testing God through fasted and prayer. To really discern who the Jewish rabbi, who the Jewish Messiah is, and concluded at the end of his life that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Like that, yeah. how cool, how interesting is that? And and never heard of it before, and might have been remained completely ignorant of it had it not been for Twitter. So
1: yeah, and I I will say, Tobias Singer um, denying it means nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing like that i guarantee whatever he said was fake so <laughs> well
0: we'll have to talk about that again because i've i've stumbled across some of his video stuff but i i certainly haven't explored it to the degree that you have we'll yeah. have to flesh this well, out. He, in a future he, episode.
1: Um, is classic for what we were just talking about where he assumes that things that jewish people believe now based on the talmud apply to the first century so, what okay. he'll do is he'll take the New Testament and he'll say, "Oh, the New Testament says this, but here's what it really means." And he'll go through of like, here's what Jewish people believe, and here's how that interpret blah, blah blah blah. And it's like, dude, you, like your modern interpretation of what the first century was doing is as good as my modern interpretation. The fact that you're Jewish is not doesn't make you an expert on the first century. As a matter of fact, it means nothing. and by the way, I did study the first century in seminary and you're wrong. Like, it's just like, you know, so
0: like there was, a, so so it sounds like, so from what you're saying, it sounds like the major error is taking the Talmud and applying it to the first century as if the Talmud is a summation of central beliefs that everybody in the first century believed. And you're saying that,
1: no, like because the close. temple was still yeah.
0: existed, like yeah. there was none of this stuff was yeah. formulated.
1: Yeah. It would be, you know, if, if you, it'd be similar to us, like if today we had someone that summarized, you know, things that took place in the 15th century. You know, let's let's say uh, Reformation time. And today we wrote a book. You know, I wrote a book. It was just like, here's my views on, you know, here's this, this, this. Now, obviously, my what I would write today would reflect sentiments from 2022. And, you know, some of those might be like, based on lessons I've learned over time, some of that might be responses to stuff going on here in the 21st century, like there would be all kinds of crap involved there. And also, like, I, by no means am an expert on what life was like in the in the 15th century or or 16th century. Like, I, I, you know, like, I'm, I don't know the mores, and I don't know the, the types of food they ate. And I don't know, you know, like, what was Culturally acceptable, et cetera, because I'm writing 500 years later. It it would be similar to that, and then someone in a thousand years taking my writing as more authoritative than stuff actually from the 16th century, right? So, like, you know, the no, the stuff from the 16th century should be authoritative, and then you can take my word and or leave it, you know. But the 16th century is the actual authoritative stuff, and that's the major problem that. Um, that singer, Rabbi Singer, does, and that's the the major problem that a lot of, um, and um, tall atheist dad or whatever that guy like he'll sometimes I'll say something about Judaism versus Christianity. He's like, well, I'd like to ask a Jew on this. I'm like, the like they why would they know? Like they're not like their religion is newer. Like this like they right. they have no idea what was going but on. In the I Old feel Testament. like
0: anybody. Yeah. As, as once you understand that there was a temple, there was an active temple during the time of the New Testament, like how could you conclude yeah. anything else other than like, yeah, it was a very different they were worshiping in a very different way back yeah. then? Yeah. Um Yeah, so very, very interesting stuff. Um and Rab, I, w- I would say that Rabbi Tobias Singer is not alone in making that sort of error. I see King James only people use that error as kind of, they they'll say the textus receptus, what we have from the 16th century is the inspired word of God, because that's what God used to speak to his people at that time. So who are we to say, well, look at the papyri and these other New Testament manuscripts that we have today that say things a little bit differently than the King James Version. Well, but God gave us the King James in the in the 15th and 16th century. So who, who are you to say that we shouldn't be using those things or we should be updating our translations based on earlier documents? It was if it was good enough for Martin Luther, it was it's good enough for me.
1: <laughs> Have you heard uh, Douglas Wilson versus James White on that question?
0: No, I saw James White versus uh, the most recent one was Dr. Peter Van Cleek, is okay. kind of one of the newer generations yeah, of D- King James Doug, only.
1: Doug Wilson, he's not a King James only guy, um, but he does believe the Textus Receptus is the way to go. Um, and it's an oh, interesting, interesting debate. Yeah. Um, his basic argument is something along the lines of um, all manuscripts are, are either strong or not strong being old doesn't mean that they're strong. Um, And that the church as a whole, most likely throughout the generations understood what the strong manuscripts were and had kind of a core of manuscripts that they kept over time. And that for us, 2000 years later to go back and say, let's just pick the oldest manuscripts or whatever that there's were undermining the work of the generations of the church that had done the, in the past so um i don't know if that's a strong argument or not but like it's so, an interesting debate and and um it's here's here's what i would say if those are the
0: type of arguments you're using then you would never have gotten rid of the latin vulgate the way that the protestant reformers when they went back to look at what jerome was looking at and discovered, oh, Matthew chapter four, verse seven, Jesus says, repent. He did not say penance. And oh, maybe we should re-examine this entire doctrine of penance. And that the yeah. whole the Protestant Reformation would never have started had it not been to going back to the original documents and see what they said. The you know, yeah. Uh,
1: well, I'm I don't have a dog in this fight, so I'm not like arguing one way or the other, but I, I will give like the alternative view is that um Jerome had a set of manuscripts that he used to make the Latin Vulgate and the Eastern Orthodox church had a similar set of manuscripts and the Catholic church update, you know, like, so you could say there's a core of Greek and Hebrew documents that the church has always held on as, yeah. as the most accurate and the most authoritative. And yes, Jerome was a, a translation of those documents that may have been a good translation or a bad translation, no, that, but that, like um, that's but what those, I'm saying. That core of documents is is the most accurate core of documents, right? So, like that would be, I think Douglas Wilson's argument is that the the church is holding on to this this group of manuscripts, this Textus Receptus, and that those are the accurate ones. And going back and finding one that, you know, Joe Blow, the very very sloppy uh, scribe from you know the right. third century did and saying oh he he didn't have this account or he didn't have this story therefore you know that's an early early manuscript therefore maybe it's not accurate and putting notes in the the document to say oh this story wasn't in the earliest documents well the church in the fourth century was like sloppy joe like you missed this whole section you know we're not going to include you in the textus receptus and like like they knew that And then the church carried that on forward. And then here we are 2000 years later and we're like, oh, let's, let's include sloppy Joe in the, in the, the conversation, you know? So it's, it's, I I, think what Douglas Wilson would say is let's trust the, the, the um, due diligence of the church over time to make sure they were keeping track of the best manuscripts. I think that's what we,
0: but we know we have the documents from Erasmus where he, he he made it very clear, like in certain parts of his translation, he did not know what he was doing. Like yeah, so yeah. A, 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 the other thing I would say, as a pro, like I understand Catholics making those arguments, I understand Eastern Orthodox making those arguments, but for a Protestant, the whole the whole reason Protestants exist is because the reformers looking at the original Greek. For a Protestant to then say that, well, the textus receptus, well, if you so if okay you go back to the time of the reformation then with those arguments you would have been against luther calvin everybody because you would have been like well look at the latin vulgate look how it's how it's god has used that for his church we can't get rid of the latin Vulgate." like i like you would right if you were being um consistent you would have to you would not well not necessarily the because
1: you could say it's, I think that's a different argument though, and I feel weird because I'm not like a King James only guy <laughs> at all, and I'm not defending this, but like um just for the purpose of the argument, like you could say, um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. um you could say we we know this group of Greek and Hebrew documents is accurate, right? We know it is the church has preserved those and protected those. The Latin Vulgate is a translation of those documents, right? Right. But by no means authoritative, right? If you're a reformer, you say that's not authoritative. Let's go look at those actual documents, not the translation. Let's go look at the actual documents and see what they say. And in those actual documents, it doesn't say penance. It says repentance, right? Right. And those actual documents, you know, there are a few key places where it like isn't there. Right. So, as a reformer, you could still hold to the Textus Receptus idea and go back to the original documents, but go back to the set of documents that's been preserved over time by the church um, as a protector and not include Sloppy Joe, the scribe from the third century, right? Like, in theory, you could say that. But that's and-
0: but that's not their argument. The Textus Receptus guys are saying that the Textus Receptus is the bestest, right? They... In spite of the fact that King James, there was a 1611 version, then it was up it was revised again because they found errors 30 years later, and like the version, the King James only version that people use nowadays didn't come about till 1700s.
1: Right, but, and you should listen to the the Doug Wilson debate because he's not arguing for the King James. He's arguing for the manuscripts behind the King James. So what the Textus Receptus is is this. Group of Greek and Hebrew texts that were used to translate the to the King James, right? And but, arguing that those are the most accurate manuscripts we, that you could have. But and that, er, Erasmus, and so in theory, we could do a completely new translation based on the Textus Receptus, and you know, but, but Erasmus didn't even have is, the
0: Erasmus Ar- Ar- didn't have a Greek the the like the book of revelation as an example yeah. Erasmus did not have the, any original greek documents for the book of revelation so we we know that the textus receptus that Erasmus originally made was written was translated from latin into the textus receptus. like so like we, like we know we have information that the textus receptus not he he just didn't have access to everything that we do now we we have more access to what the original documents were than erasmus did so yeah it's just, I, a, that's I just a fact
1: i don't think um Douglas wilson would say that um for example that book of revelation is the best way to go i think what he would say is that the catholic church that had the documents that Erasmus would have liked to have when he did his translation that that version that the, the church was holding on to is probably the most accurate one so that even though yeah King James not perfect and Erasmus's translation not perfect because they didn't have all the documents that they wanted but the the group of documents they wanted was the Textus Receptus and that that is the most accurate group of documents that you could have um, and I don't know if that's true or not. Like it's a, it's an interesting debate. And and James White is a very talented debater who um who makes that case. My stupid hat is like got my hair doing weird stuff. <laughs> 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 um, but he makes an interesting debate um where he goes, I mean, it's an interesting case both both ways around, but you know, my personal view on this whole thing is that. Um, the reason I'm more in, I, like I've got a certain amount of affinity towards Douglas Wilson's argument on it is that um, I do think it's weird to say the Bible rules the church. You know, like we've we've been guided by the Bible even in Catholic days. You know, Jerome, all those guys, even going back to augustine all them the bible has been this guiding factor right even if they didn't fully believe in sola scriptura or whatever it's it has been this guiding factor and oh by the way they got major sections of it wrong you know over time you know like the woman caught in adultery in the stoning beautiful story is that real or not like if probably not if you don't follow (laughs) texas receptus you say no right like what you say i say my personal opinion is like yes it was real and um, I don't think the church would screw that up. Like, that's my personal opinion, like over time. And like, that's where the textus receptus argument supports that. And like, so I, and I, but, I they, think...
0: but, but, but you do that while also acknowledging that Matthew 4, 7 was incorrectly translated into the Latin Vulgate. Like
1: translations are different than than the accepted manuscripts you use for those translations. That's why I've been trying to distinguish between. So like whether Jerome translated properly to make the, the Latin Vulgate is a different discussion than whether the manuscripts he used to make his translation were accurate, right? Those are two different discussions. So if let's say the documents Jerome had were God inspired perfect documents. The manuscripts he had were exactly like Paul had written, like the the apostles had written. So let's just hypothetically say Jerome had a perfect set of documents. That doesn't mean the Latin Vulgate would be perfect, right? Like he could screw up those translations. So let's fast forward to the 16th century and and say, or 17th century and say that the King James Version Bible Let's say once again, they had perfect manuscripts, which we know we, they didn't, but let's say they did. It doesn't mean the King James Version Bible is a perfect translation, right? Because, you know, you, as a translator, you have to make decisions. You are fallible and you you could get translations wrong. You could make the wrong decisions, you know, that kind of thing. So the question I think at the core of the Textus Receptus discussion is, what are those perfect documents and uh, are those perfect documents um completely lost and we have to like start fresh and say mm-hmm. let's do our archaeology and find the oldest documents and, and you know weigh this one versus that one and this one which is what kind of modern translations do and as a result of that you get people saying the woman cult on adultery is not a real biblical story um Or do you say, hey, the church actually over the centuries probably did a pretty good job of preserving the actual texts of the Bible. The translations weren't perfect. They never, it's impossible to do a perfect translation, right? Like it's just, you know, you always have to make translator decisions. So yeah, the translations weren't perfect, but over time the church did a pretty good job of preserving those documents. And for us, 20 centuries later, to say, let's throw out all the work they did, and let's just start researching all the old documents, and let's let's try and figure this out ourselves using modern science. Like, there's a lot of hubris there that I think is worth questioning whether we're actually going, whether that's a smart road for us to go down, and whether we should just throw out the work of 20 centuries of church um, that they did preserving, making sure they had the right manuscripts there. That, that's you know, that's that's my concern with the modern translations. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and I
0: get that. And I, and, and I understand that. I I guess, I I guess I lean, I get the other way because we can look at what they were looking at. We can, can and, we and, and like, 99% of the time that it's, it's, it's just a few little things. So like the, the this story about the woman caught in adultery, um, there's a, there's a verse in Ephesians that, <clears throat> I can't remember, like, in Textus Receptus, it looks like it's the Trinity. And in the earliest Greek manuscripts that we have, it looks like it's talking just about Jesus. So, like, there's little things. And I think that's ultimately, as you look at this debate, what you find is when atheists say there's all these contradictions and everything else, and then you actually study it, it's it's it is a miraculous how all of these different documents like 99.9% of everything they say really agrees with each other you don't for, we we don't have a gospel of john that says jesus had a wife we don't have a paul's letters that different versions of paul's letters that contradict different doctrines that he's promoting in other manuscripts that we have the the way that the all the new testament manuscripts that we have verified exist are really in unison on most everything besides these few little variants, which does the story of the woman caught in adultery, does this have big doctrinal implications? Some people would argue that it does.
1: Yeah. I would would say on that one in particular, I think it does. Like, I think that that one is, that's an important question because countless sermons have been given on that and countless questions of like, how do we treat someone caught in sin? like, And is it might not be the core of the gospel, like how one is saved or whatever, but it is, in my opinion, an important part of Christianity that you see major sermons on going back to day one. Like you see Augustine preach on that. You see the reformers preach on that. Like you see that going back all the way to the beginning and to today, like personally, I've sat through sermons of people teaching their congregation based on how Jesus treated the woman caught in adultery. And if at the end of this time, we say, Oh, sorry, that actually didn't happen. Like, I feel like that is. So,
0: so what are what, are, so, let, so let me press you on this then. What are we, what is the church missing? If, if they were to decide that this wasn't actually part of the original
1: Greek manuscripts, so- if Christianity means anything, right? Like if if we say we're Christians, it means in some substantial way, we follow Christ, right? Like in some substantial way, we follow the teachings of Christ. And I think that when it comes to like how we forgive, how we enact the Christian law, we've got all these moral laws, we've got all these principles you know we've you and i have talked about like civil law and how it's built on the old testament law we've got all these principles and one of the major stories the stories we all know a beautiful story a wonderful story um a powerful story about how all those things fit together is the woman caught in adultery and like how jesus takes that story in that moment and twists it or turns it 180 on the accusers and gives them all a sense of like, Hey, you guys are not without sin and we're all sinners. And therefore like our forgiveness or the way we interact with sinners must always come from this standpoint of us being sinners. And like, could, could you get that from other texts? Probably? Yeah, maybe. But like that is one of the most powerful things that Jesus said and to say, oops, that's not real, like, in my opinion, like, is a, it, it's, it's not going to end the faith, right? Like, no. and that's why, you know, but so, like, it is, in my opinion, it is a substantial part of historic Christianity that if the trans, if modern translations are right and that shouldn't be in the Bible, like, I just view that as like not okay. in substantial so, change. So, what about when
0: progressive LGb Christians point to this story the progressive dispensationalists point to this story that say see God used to care about sexual immorality he doesn't as we see in this story he does not care about things what we call sexual immorality anymore uh, he's more concerned with right conservative Christians who are judging other people when they're engaging in the what we call sin and everything. They use the story to show how yeah. Jesus no Jesus doesn't actually care about homosexuality, adultery, any of those things.
1: I would say that is a terrible interpretation of that. That passage it's a real interpretation I mean, though. And the, yeah, this, I've I've heard <laughs> that and my my answer to that is like clearly at the end, Jesus is not in any way saying adultery is good. And at the end he says to the woman go and sin no more. Right. So like, but he didn't condemn he didn't condemn her. Well, he didn't stone I condemn her, you condemn neither. Her. Yeah, well, and go in on that your context, he, he's talking about um, stoning her to death, right? So, um, but he clearly says, go and sin no more. So he's clearly commanding her not to commit adultery anymore, right? And so if if I were to say to homosexuals, like, Hey, I'm good news. I'm not going to stone you, but stop doing your stuff. Right. Like, I don't think anybody would say that was a liberal message. Right. And, and I think that's what Jesus was saying. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stone you. I'm not going to, you know, I amazing moment of forgiveness, but at the same time, don't do it anymore. Like that's the end message of that story is stop doing it. And I, you know, I, so I, I would say that's a, not at all a a a liberal argument other than i mean like there is a i think liberals to some degree or another sometimes understand the idea of forgiving certain types of things which is you know if there's some overlap there with true christianity that's fine but like you know it, it is a beautiful story of forgiveness but i don't think it's an approval of her sin in any way
0: gotcha all right i like how we've been uh Having these Twitter conversations, <laughs> then we kind of end on a, we get into a debate of sorts. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah I, I've, I've mixed feelings about that story. I uh, was, it, <clears throat> was it originally, was it something that John actually wrote? I don't know. But like you said, it's something that the church has used to show the power of what, what Jesus was doing, the power of forgiveness. Um, all these different things.
1: Can I, I throw one other thing in on that story in case you won't go with me on, and I shouldn't say go with me, go, won't go with Douglas Wilson on the Texas Receptus argument. Um, even if you don't, um, N.T. Wright makes the argument that that is an original story, um, based on a non-Texas Receptus argument. Um, he basically says that the Gospel of John, um, was written by John over time and that John may have had that as a separate document, a separate story he told, but N.T. Wright makes the argument based on textual analysis that that story does belong in the gospel, Um, maybe not in that place chronologically, but he says it basically does belong in the the gospel. So that's an interesting argument that uh, he makes. So
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it is interesting, for sure. Lots of good conversations. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, Like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, because Twitter is just an awesome place. Check out Lewis's book. Lewis had the cover up a moment ago. Um, Great book. When You're exploring the idea of, hey, why does the church historically have this weird prohibition against drug use? Lewis did a good job looking at the secular argument against drug culture, looking at the science behind people who take hallucinogenic drugs, the history of drugs and different cultures. Jordan Jordan
1: Peterson recently did a episode on psychedelics. Um, and you and I have talked about Jordan Pierce in the past, he actually engaged this question of entities um, on there. And he and the other guy kind of poo-pooed the idea that they were real and made the argument that you know somehow they were created in our minds. Um, The interesting thing is in this book, I review the exact study that he's talking about that he references. And I explain why that interpretation, that naturalistic interpretation cannot be true. So if you listened to Jordan Peterson's podcast and you were convinced that, oh, the entities are just created in your mind, check out my book, particularly chapter four. And I explain why that's not a great interpretation of what Jordan Peterson was talking about. So I actually sent a copy of this to Jordan Pearson's daughter. Cause she allows messages on her Twitter. Oh, if nice. Jordan Pearson is listening, you know, I would love to uh, get this to him as well, because I'd, I'd love to engage that question of what the entities are and whether they're all in our head or not. Yeah,
0: so. and, and we're living in a culture today that is really opening the door more and more to legalizing and promoting you know Aaron Rodgers is probably the more famous example of an athlete who is using ayahuasca trips as he says a way to
1: inha- as a performance enhancing drug um the shift pe- pe- in opinion on this discussion is insane yeah. where you y- y- the widespread use of marijuana is is off the hook you know T- high THC content dramatic increases other hallucinogens, ayahuasca, LSD, mushrooms. Um, I posted on my Twitter Ryan Long, who I like, but his podcast, they started talking psychedelics and talking about how they take psychedelics and talking about like how shrooms is the thing nowadays. And like it's a interesting like the mainstreaming of psychedelics is wild. And it's it's the if you look at popularity trends, it's very similar to what we saw with uh the LGBT where yeah. LGBT in the 1980s 100% of people wanted it not 100% but like large majorities wanted it banned completely and now it's widely accepted even by conservatives similar shift has happened with the view towards uh marijuana and other psychedelics and it's it is a wild change and people are a lot paying a lot less attention to it than they did to the to the LGBT thing
0: yeah yeah very interesting and it might
1: have bigger cultural consequences that's my opinion
0: yeah well. yeah absolutely yeah thanks everybody we'll see you again next week when we see what else we dredge up from twitter to flesh out and
1: longer conversations uh, anything else before we go lewis not really although we should mention our twitter handles follow me on i am lewis you on twitter and uh lucas you can follow at addicted to grace with the two being the number two addicted to grace um and you can check out my uh, website as well lewisungit.substack.com
0: great thanks everybody we'll see you next week